How's it going, Irish fans? Locked on Irish podcast coming to you on the Tuesday edition of the show. We got a big one ahead of you today. First guest ever on the Locked On Irish podcast, so we'll reveal who that is. If you've been listening to the show, you know who that is, but uh, we'll get to that here in just a little bit, but it is a Tuesday edition. Make sure you're following us out there, Twitter, Facebook, at Locked On Irish, Spotify, iTunes, all the usual suspects. It's Greg Schaefer, your lead host, and your favorite co-host and mine, Mark Hissom in the house. What's up, buddy? What's up? Go Irish. Go Irish, indeed. We are T-minus. We are getting close now. It is about 10, 11 days from kickoff. I know it's not the opponent we all wanted, but I tell you, it is Irish football, and knowing we have another another game to play, I mean, it's really exciting, I think. Yeah, me too. It, it, actually, I hate to say this, but this could be a statement game. Um, you know, if, we, if this game's close, it looks bad. It does. If we blow them out. You know, great statement. Absolutely. And I do think there's some things we can improve in this game. Uh, one, one of which being that this is a high powered offense. I, I know it might be a little inflated due to what they can do in the big 12 because the defenses are so bad, but it's a pretty high powered offense. And if we can shut them down, I think it makes quite a statement for our defense. I agree. So our guest today is going to be Brian Driscoll called the Irish Maven, part of sports illustrated, I mean, that is what he does. He's a former coach. He was at Blue and Gold Illustrated. Now he is with uh, Sports Illustrated. Really, really intelligent guy and, and knows the ins and outs of this team. Probably forgotten more Irish th- football things than uh, than we have, than we'll ever know. But uh, really excited to have him on. We're going to give him a call here in about five or six minutes. Um, got some really good questions for him concerning Chip Long's departure, who he thinks the replacement's going to be, uh, maybe talk about some of these decisions that are going to have to be made as far as guys coming back, guys staying, things like that. And I really want to ask him, in his opinion, there's Brian sending me a thumbs up right now, and I know that came through on the recording. That's awesome. Yeah, I heard it. <laughs> good deal. Well, we know the phone works. Uh, one of the things I want to ask him is, you know, Brock Purdy is – fifth in the nation in passing. I want to know, is this the best quarterback, passing quarterback we've seen all year? That's one of the things I'm concerned about. Um, I have no idea. I mean, I, mean, I, I really don't. I think Fromm's really good. I know his his weapons this year were a little more questionable, and, you know, they had their struggles. No doubt Georgia had their struggles this year. But I think this might be the best passing attack we've seen, and I think our DBs, one of the keys to this game, in my opinion, has got to be the DBs being on their toes. Yeah, and pressure on the quarterback. I mean, if if he's moving his feet, we win. Yeah, absolutely. He's not a great running quarterback, not in the least. So I, I do think if we can get him moving around in the backfield, chasing him around, having Khalid Kareem come through, chasing him around. Jameer Jones, you know, Jameer Jones has really been a revelation this year, thought to have redshirted and had to step up due to injuries and has actually played pretty nice. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, an audition for next season as well. Yeah, well, he's a senior. He's done now. What's what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. You know, And he's got invited to one of the senior bowls. I think it's the Reese's one. Um, And, you know, that's awesome to be able to show his talent and maybe even take his take his talents to the NFL. Who knows? Yeah. It's weird how some guys, you know, they don't really play all that much in college, or maybe they just didn't get the right opportunity. They flash a little bit, and then all of a sudden you're like, man, I wish we had that dude for four years. Yeah, no kidding. I'm trying to think of some other guys that have been like that for us. I know Jonas Gray came on late. He's one that yeah. comes to mind. 
And then apparently missed his alarm clock in the NFL and never seen another right. down. That's crazy. Absolutely crazy. So, uh, yeah, we'll give Brian a call here in just a little bit once he is good to go. But uh, right now, got the Bears and the Packers on in the studio. So, as you know, this was going to be recorded on Sunday for your Tuesday entertainment. Um, Irish in the NFL. Who's doing well in the NFL right now? We've seen Eifert playing a little bit. Uh, who comes to mind to you playing really well in the NFL? How's Tua doing? I know you're a Steeler fan. He's out for the years. That's right. Yeah, That's right. He he's done. Peck muscle, I think, or bicep on the two. He's a monster. Oh, uh, he was having such a good season too. Yeah. Uh, he, yeah. Uh, Boykin. I mean, I'm sure he's doing well. Um, Teo's playing again. Yeah, Teo's back with the Saints. Um. I don't know. The Detroit Lions dumped all their Irish players. So That's much true. Those guys all ended up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I was trying to. Th- Harrison Smith, he's always playing well. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's another guy that it's like, oh my goodness, had we just been able to just have him for you know at his peak in college would yeah. have been tremendous. You know, he played nice. He was a nice player. Now he's the highest paid safety yeah. in the league. Offensive linemen obviously are all over the place. Ronnie Stanley yeah, comes so, I mean, to mind. Doing, Zach, most of those guys are doing Zach well. Martin. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we've had quite a pipeline to the NFL, and I really think that's something that Kelly's brought. Kelly's brought a lot of things, and I know one of the hot topics all year is, you know, should Kelly still be here or whatever, and it's a hot topic every year, but he's done a lot for the university as far as, and not to say everything he's done has been amazing, because that's obviously not true, but as far as the evolution of Notre Dame into the you know 2000s of what a stadium experience should look like and, and just sending guys to the NFL at a pretty high rate. Absolutely. And actually bringing Notre Dame football back. I mean, we went, there was a point there where. Yeah, where we were going to become BYU. NBC might have fired us. Yeah. No, you're not wrong. I mean, we we're real close at some certain points to becoming basically that independent, you know, private religious school that's, you know, they'll upset a team from time to time. BYU, essentially. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the undefeated seasons. I mean, yeah, the other coaches, I mean, how long has it been? been a long time and he's had two now granted some of those weaker opponents schools were down but you can only beat who's in front of you see clemson for instance and what happens do people say the same thing about clemson if we're on the other side of 30 to 3 last year yeah so so a couple minutes away from giving brian a call but the irish team uh, irish hockey got off the schneid last night yeah beating penn state that's a big win yeah that's a big win and been struggling lately. Is it the first win in like six games, right? Yeah, I can't remember the exact number of games. Um, I'm so busy on trying to put get this trip put together down to Florida that I am out of the loop on a lot of things. Well, hopefully you'll be in the loop as far as being credentialed for this game. <laughs> yeah, I keep checking my email, waiting for that to come through. So that would be awesome. Every spam email, every <laughs> every email that comes through, you're like, is it? No, not this one. Yep, this is no, not this one. I don't. It seems almost like it may be easier than the high school football playoffs. It's, you know, they're going to check with Locked On. Mm-hmm. Um, and if Locked On says, yeah, this is legit, here's what we do, boom, you're in. Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. That would be great. So either way, Mr. Hissom over here is going to get us some great content down there. And uh, it should be a pretty cool bowl. Is this your first bowl game you've ever attended? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I'm only going because it's I'll be there. Right. Well, no kidding. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. typically would rather watch it, if it's an important game on TV, yeah. Uh, versus try to, you know, watch it live and especially a bowl game because it's it's a little different um, when it comes to the atmosphere and the crowd and stuff, you know, like if it was a home game, that'd be awesome. You know, yeah. If we could get into the playoffs, I know that's a whole nother uh, episode or 10 to talk about, but um, <laughs> that would be awesome to have home playoff games. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, it, I don't know, cracking that force field. But if you yeah. look at how many people are on the sideline at a home playoff or a home game, I mean, I can't. I gotta believe I can get on the sideline for Notre Dame Bowling Green. Yeah, no one, no one would even. I notice. work hard down there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. It's just to carry that uh, lanyard. Yeah. <laughs> just see how how many different places can we get in with our local media credentials. Yeah, but it is my first bowl game, so I'm excited uh, to see what it's all about. You know, um, hopefully I'll get some time uh, the day before, and then obviously early that morning to try to grab some uh, insight for you guys uh, to hear, see you on Facebook, Twitter, all that good stuff. Yeah, definitely. Remember, we are your official Notre Dame podcast of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Just the concept of this network is incredible, where you get an update on your team every single day. Now, a lot of times we don't record that on that particular day, but that's just that's just life in and of itself. So once we start getting paid the big bucks, then, uh, hey, we're, we're there. We'll build our own studio, and we will be right on it. Like, I'd have been at Chip Long's door interviewing him for Locked On. Oh, yeah, I'm going to just sit around and talk all day long absolutely absolutely so let's go to break we'll get brian on the phone here and we'll talk to you right after the right after the ads right after this all right guys back at it locked on irish podcast hope your week's going well we are dwindling down the days to christmas you better get that shopping done the weather's changing you're only gonna have when you're listening to this you got about a week so better get it together amazon prime is just now's the time that you should have already had stock in Amazon because wow. Oh, through the roof. Through every the, day. I mean, they're at my house every day. <laughs> you just got like a carrier pigeon just dropping something off every single day. So let's get Brian on the line here and talk some more Irish football. Hello. Hey, Brian. How are you doing, sir? It's Greg Schaefer um, and Mark Hissom from Locked On. Hey, guys, how are you? We're doing well, doing, doing well. We're trying to, I guess, white death is coming our way here in uh, central Ohio. So, uh, Oh, that's no fun. I'm actually headed to Lima right now. Oh, are you? Very nice. I am. Yeah, my dad is actually, my grandmother, I grew up in Lima. My grandmother still lives in Lima, and my parents have had her down in Virginia Beach where they live for the last month and a half. Uh-huh. My dad is driving her back because she can't really fly that well, and then I'm going to meet him, and we're going to go grab lunch before he starts driving back to Virginia. Oh, mm-hmm. man. Where, so, where, where yeah. are you originally from, or where are you living at now, I, I guess I should ask? I live in South – well, I live just outside of South Bend. I live in Granger, Indiana. Nice. Now. Very nice. Yep. So uh, before we get going, talking a little Irish football, just give us a little background, Brian, on uh, if, if a lot of people don't know who you are or what you've done for covering Notre Dame. And I know you've been a coach. And just a little background on yourself before we start talking about this year's team. Well, I was a college football, started off as a college football coach. I coached at the Division Three and the Division One AA level. I did that for seven years, five years at the beginning. Um, and after two years of covering Notre Dame, uh, I got hired to be the uh, recruiting coordinator and wide receivers coach at a school in Ohio, Division Three school in Ohio. Did that for two years and uh, just kind of had to get that out of my system, got it out of my system, and uh, got hired back to cover Notre Dame for uh, Irish Sports Daily at the time, which is who I had originally worked for. Uh, did that for a year and then had a chance, which was really just a, a, a amazing opportunity for me, which was a chance to work at Blue and Gold Illustrated for a few years. And getting to work with Lou Samoji, who's someone I have a tremendous amount of respect for and someone who I grew up reading as a kid because I got Blue and Gold Illustrated as a kid uh, living in Ohio and then living in Virginia. So that was that was pretty cool. And then, of course, uh, in September, I uh, took a, a big chance and 
and became the publisher at uh, Irish Maven, which is a Notre Dame channel for Sports Illustrated. And it was a, a little bit of a, uh, you know, the move was, I, I'm someone who likes certainty and at blue and gold, there was a certain level of certainty. Uh, but I finally kind of got out of that comfort zone and, and took a chance on it. And I'm so glad that I did because I've had such a blast running this site uh, for the last few months. And we're just getting started on on really growing it, the site, podcast, all that kind of stuff. So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, like I said, when I talked to you there, uh, when we were kind of texting back and forth, I got a lot of respect for you. And uh, we we kind of review your notes because you're you're in it um, you know you really know your stuff before we do a show we're always kind of checking around for various outlets but your stuff's really good and i would encourage any of our listeners or anybody out there to really uh, check out your stuff it's great so i appreciate that and i've made the website easier to get to at the beginning i had to use like si.com forward slash college now it's real easy. My wife's a web designer, so she got me a new link. It's just irishbreakdown.com. That's oh. the easiest way to get to my site. And you know how people are in 2019. If it's not easy, they're not doing it. So Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> it was funny. I was on a local radio show, and they when I first made the change, and it was like, the guy, was, it, was, it was funny listening to it. It was like, it's si.com forward slash college forward slash Notre Dame. And I'm like, I got to do something about this. Yeah. No, no one's going to that site. No, not at all. They send you to some, some yeah. GeoCities website or something like that. So. <laughs> exactly. So, exactly. Uh, Brian, uh, one thing I wanted to get off here real quick is just, you know, this season we won 10 games. We're 10 and 2, and it, it was what a lot of people predicted. But what what is it about this the way we got there that just makes this season feel not as successful? Well, you know, before the season, and, and part of this is I'm, I'm frustrated with the fact that it was an opportunity lost. Before the season, I predicted when I was I was actually still Bloom Gold Illustrated at the time, and I predicted that the four playoff teams would be Ohio State, Clemson, LSU, and Notre Dame. And when I look back at the season, you say, you know, if you'd have beat Georgia, you know, when you got the ball at midfield with two minutes left, if you could have gone down and got a score and just been competitive in a loss to Michigan, I'd feel really good about Notre Dame's chances of, of getting in over Oklahoma. Agreed. And it had a far better resume than what Oklahoma had. And so now you're looking at it as back-to-back years of getting into the playoff. And honestly, they should have done that. And that's sort of where you look at it is is not all records are the same. And I remember you go back to 05 and 06. Notre Dame went 9-2 and two in the regular season in 2005, and we look back on it, and I think most people look back on it as, what a great year. Uh, they, were, they played above expectations, but also the losses were competitive losses. You lose to overtime to Michigan State. You lose at the end of the game to a phenomenal USC team that ends up being the national runner-up. Then you go out the next year and they go 10 and two and it's kind of viewed as a disappointment. And it's not just that they didn't meet expectations. They were a preseason top five team, but when they lost, they weren't competitive. And, and the loss to Michigan was a, a, a non-competitive loss to a team that was really good back in 06. So that was the, remember that was the Michigan team that lost to Ohio state in the one versus two matchup yep. at the end of the season that year. Yep. Well, this year you lost to a Michigan team that wasn't even that good. I mean, Michigan, look, if all you saw Michigan play this year was against Notre Dame, you'd think, boy, they were really good. But then if you watch them against Wisconsin, Ohio State, and Penn State, you realize, yeah, they're not that good. They're an 8-4 caliber team. And the way that Notre Dame lost that game, I think, left a lot of people frustrated. I think the other frustration comes from even some of the wins. Notre Dame out-talented a lot here. Louisville, Virginia, Stanford, Duke, Navy, Boston College. 
it wasn't until later in the year that they actually started playing really good football on both sides of the ball. And that was kind of after the two losses when all the pressure was off and against teams that, let's be honest, simply aren't that good. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where that frustration came from is you, you could if they'd have gone 10 and 2 in 2017 against that schedule with seven top 25 teams on it, I'd have said, that's a heck of a year. But this team, you played two good teams, really, and you lost to them both. And that the standard at Notre Dame, to be honest with you, especially 10 years into a coach's tenure, should be higher than that. Oh, I don't disagree. And I think it was agreed on, you know, it wasn't that good of a Michigan team. And we just looked, I, I talked to one of my one of my other kind of connections at, at uh, ABC 57, and they said they just kind of looked cold, wet, and didn't want to be there, basically. Yeah, yeah. I, I've heard that from, you know, people, scouts. I've heard that from coaches. I've heard that from parents that were there that, that have a football background. It was the same thing, that there was just no emotion. Mm-hmm. And look, the one of the things Brian Kelly has done a great job with the last three years is they're no longer losing to the South Florida's. They're yeah. no longer losing to the Tulsa's and teams like that. You know, Notre Dame, if you look at the 2015, 17, 18, 19 seasons, Notre Dame had, only has, I believe, off the top of my head, nine losses. Mm-hmm. They were all to teams that finished the year in the top 25. That's, that's a positive, right? Yep. But that's from Kelly's business-like mentality you know that, that they're, every team is the same we're going to bring the same mentality into every game and that helps you when you're playing Virginia and uh, a down Stanford team and Duke but it hurts you when you're playing Georgia it hurts you when you're playing Michigan it hurts you when you're playing Clemson and teams like that because Michigan for example was playing for their lives their season was on the line and against Michigan or against Notre Dame, and Notre Dame was playing like it was, you know, okay, this is like Virginia, this is like Bowling Green. And when you're when you're playing with that kind of mindset, it's no surprise that when the elements get a little tough, it's a little harder for you to get to the intensity level and the focus level you need to be at. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Hey, Brian, this is Mark. I wanted to uh, get your feeling on the, the recent big news of the departure of Chip Long and just how, how you feel – that that took place even after the team averaging 37 points per game um you know was he fired was it a mutual agreement you know what's your take on that situation well everything i've heard is that it was you know neither side was wanted to move forward so it's kind of like you know a, a man and a woman get divorced it's kind of like well whoever whoever filed the paperwork first i guess technically is the one who initiated it <laughs> but they both were ready to move on uh, you know, I think Chip Long is a really, really good play caller, and he's someone that personally I have a lot of respect for. One of the things I liked about Chip Long is he would read something that I've said about him critically, and we'd have fun football conversations about it. He didn't take it personally. Uh, he didn't unfollow me on Twitter or not answer my calls. He would engage me on it, uh, and, and I like that thick skin that he has. But the, the fact of the matter is to be a great coordinator, there, there's a lot more to it than just being a really good play caller. And I think Chip Long is a really good play caller, where I think at times he has some issues as a young coach is understanding that it's not just about being smart and, and, and calling great plays. It's also about can you get your players to play at their best? And in some areas, I think they've done that the last couple of years. I think in other areas, they haven't. 
Mm -hmm. and especially at quarterback. And I think there was also a frustration on Chip Long's part that he was saddled with an offensive line coach that he didn't want and who isn't doing a good job. And I think that frustration caused him to take out some of his anger and frustration on players, which you can't do. Uh, Mm -hmm. But that's a lesson that he'll learn as a a mid-30s offensive coordinator. And and at his next stop, I'm sure he's going to be more cognizant of that and do a better job. But even then, he still did a pretty good job when you look at the product they put on the field on Saturdays the last few years. Yeah, he's definitely got an opportunity to step into another role relatively quickly. And as far as who's going to step into this role, is this looking just as simple as plugging reason and playing, essentially? Or are they going to kick the tires on somebody from the outside? Well, I sure hope it's not the first one that you said. I I think that, look, I wrote an article today at at Irish Maven, and and one of the things I said, or actually it would be on Sunday, I wrote an article on Irish Maven where I talk about, is Tommy Reese a really smart young coach? Absolutely. Would Tommy Reese do a better job as an offensive coordinator than most 27, 28-year-olds? Absolutely. Someone who can put them in position to compete for a championship next year. And while Tommy Reese has the potential to maybe someday be that guy, he's not that guy right now for the reasons I just mentioned to you before. Is he smart? Does he know concepts? Could he call plays maybe even? Sure. But play calling is the last thing that you have to worry about as an offensive coordinator because if you don't do what you need to do Monday to Friday, it doesn't matter how smart you are on Saturday. And if you're a, just a solid play caller, but you're phenomenal on doing what you need to do Monday to Friday, you're going to have a better product than that really smart play caller who doesn't know how to get his team prepared Monday to Friday. Yeah. And Tommy Reese needs that experience. Now, if and I also advocate in the article that if you're going to hire a guy within the staff, I think our conversation should be more about Lance Taylor. Because I believe it's about talent. I believe it's about experience. And I don't mean experience as a play caller, because I advocated for Clark Lee getting the D coordinator job. He'd never been a coordinator. It's about experience as a coach and also about pedigree. And when you look at Clark Lee, I love the fact that he had coached under Dwayne Walker, who was the defensive coordinator at UCLA back, you know, when Notre Dame played UCLA back in the, the late 2000s. He had coached under Scott Schaefer, who I think is a really good defensive line, and he had coached under Mike Elko. But you look at Lance Taylor. He was a GA for Nick Saban. He coached for three years under David Shaw. He coached under Brian Schottheimer. He coached under Mike Shula. I mean, this is and he, his first full-time coaching job was for Jerry Moore at Appalachian State, who was a Hall of Famer. So that, there's some pedigree there too that goes with his talent. And he's a guy that really did a great job commanding respect and getting the most out of his running back room this year. So he's the guy that I would look at. But but look. The reality is, fellas, is as much as I think Lance Taylor could do a good job, you have to be open to going outside because this is a it's like you've got a Ferrari right now at Notre Dame. And there's going to be a lot of people that know how to drive a Ferrari that are going to want this job. Right. You don't hand the keys to your Ferrari over to your 16 year old who just got his license. Eventually, he'll figure out how to drive it. But at what cost? How much damage is going to be done before that happens? And that's kind of how I look at the situation is. You've got to open it up and be willing to bring in an outside coach if he fits what you need them to do, meaning there's not going to be like a dramatic change in scheme. You don't bring in like a triple option guy, you know, um, bring in a coach that understands that. But the biggest thing is whoever the offensive coordinator is, he's going to need someone coaching the offensive line that can coach it as good as the best in the country. And right now we're just not seeing that. Yeah, I appreciate that insight. And also, you know, we're talking about play calling again. You know, what we noticed over the last, you know, four games of the season is that our running game 
uh, made a big improvement, you know, when we were gaining about 40 more yards uh, rushing per game. Was that a product of uh, the opponent, or did we change something up? Was something going on on the sidelines and in the coach's box? What led to that, uh, the big improvement on the running game? Yeah, so I think, I think it's a couple different things. If, I don't think the run game improved. I think the raw numbers, like you talked about, improved. More yards per game and things like that. But even then, if you look at it, it was the same thing we saw all year. You know, so, for example, Notre Dame goes out against, against Duke, who I think actually has one of the more underrated defensive lines in the country. I really like their defensive line. Notre Dame goes out and runs for 288 yards. That's a good performance, right? Well, look at what they did in the game before that and the game after that. They barely got over 100 yards, you know. And so you look at it and say, well, you know, did they really did they really improve? And then so they go run for 288 against Duke and then 105 against Navy and then 252 against Boston College and 190 against Stanford. Well, if you look at those games against uh, Boston College, for example, you had a 61-yard touchdown on a jet sweep by Braden Lindsey where the offensive line didn't block a soul. It was a jet sweep. You had, I think, 40 yards or so from Phil Dracovic and on, on you know runs late in the game when you had the backups in the game. And then Ian Book, I think, had about 30 or 40 scramble yards in that game. And so the 252 is really misleading because if you break the game down, the offensive line had a lot of issues opening up holes in that game. A lot of those yards came on the jet sweep, they came on scrambles, and they came on the quarterback, the second-string quarterback, picking up an extra 40 or so yards when he came in the game. So the numbers sometimes can tell you exactly what happened, but sometimes the numbers can be a little bit misleading, and we saw the same thing against Stanford. You know, uh, Notre Dame converts a fourth and two with a 26-yard run for Ian Book. was on a pass play. He mm-hmm. took off running. So, uh, and that's where sometimes evaluating rushing yards when you're looking at a college football team can be a little bit misleading because, and, and the other way too, you know, Tony Jones had 131 yards and averaged seven yards a carry against Virginia, but they lost a bunch of yards on sacks and I think there was a fumble or something else in that game. So the, the overall numbers don't look quite as impressive, but I just feel like they're, the, the, they're not a lot changed. What changed was they played some bad defenses. Stanford stinks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Boston College's defense is not good. Uh, I mean, that's a team that gave up over 300 yards on the ground in Kansas. So, um, you know, the 252 is, is not something that's going to that's gonna blow me away. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with that. It's something I've talked about for a few weeks now is just how, yes, it, we did what we were supposed to do, and that's a good feeling. Now, kind of transition before we get into the Iowa State, uh, the Camping World Bowl here, but uh, you mentioned Tony Jones and – also, Ian Book. Well, we got a few guys like that that have some decisions to make in the offseason. Um, what's your thoughts on Book, Gilman, Jones, guys like that going to go pro or coming back? I honestly don't have a feel on what Ian Book's going to do. I've heard so much back and forth on that. If this is strictly an NFL decision, I, I think he needs to go. Uh, I don't think he's going to come back and all of a sudden grow a couple inches or get a stronger arm or, or anything like that. I mean, his numbers this year were pretty good. If he plays in the bowl game, he's going to have over 3,000 yards and 37 touchdowns, and then he'll add to that in the bowl game. And, and I don't know how much you know he can improve his stock. But if you're just looking at it from a, a Notre Dame experience, then there's a lot of reason for him to come back. My, my hope is that Notre Dame is tell is honest with him and says, hey, look, you're coming come back, you're the incumbent, but we're going to open this quarterback competition up. Because I don't think Ian Book has done anything in his career to say, hey, you're, you've are you done well. I mean, he didn't play well against Virginia. He didn't play well against Georgia. He didn't play well against Michigan. 
But when Brandon Wimbush didn't play well in those kind of games late in the 2017 season, he lost his job. Mm-hmm. But Brandon Wimbush has a win over Michigan. Brandon Wimbush has a, a 35-point win over an 11-win USC team, a 20-point road win over a top 15, 10-win Michigan State team, right? So if he's lost his job, then I don't think Ian Book should have his job on lockdown to where a guy like Phil Jacobic or Brendan Clark has no chance to compete with him. And so I wish they would tell him that. I don't think that they will. I wish they would open that up. And then he has a decision to make. Tony Jones Jr., honestly, uh, I, I think it, it's just going to depend on what kind of feedback his family gets from the NFL. Aloe Gilman's the interesting one, guys, because I, I think he's going to leave based on the people that I've talked to. What we have to remember about Aloe Gilman is he's not your typical senior in that he's technically a fifth-year senior. When you look at he went to Naval Academy. His first year was with the prep team at Navy, which meant he did not use a year of eligibility. So when he was a freshman at Navy, he was technically two years removed from high school. So if he comes back next year, that would actually be his sixth year away from high school. He's starting to get up there in age. I don't know if his game is going to improve in the way that he plays. I think he has more to risk by coming back next year than he does to gain, uh, simply looking at it from his future NFL aspects. Yeah, that, that's a good point. But going back to Phil, putting yourself in Phil's shoes, what do you do if Book does come back? I think it depends on what the coaches tell you and whether or not you're being honest with them. If the coaches tell him, hey, listen, you're, you're going to come back. Ian is our starting quarterback, but you're going to get every opportunity in the spring and fall camp to battle him. Then I, I would understand him coming back and talking to people that I that I've talked, you know, some sources I've spoken with. Phil loves it at Notre Dame. He wants to stay at Notre Dame. But at the same time, I think there's a frustration there, at least I would have some frustration there, on the fact of some of the things that were said about him by the coaches behind the scenes uh, to different reporters about what he can't do and what he struggles with and all these other kind of things. And, and if I were him, I would, I would be a little frustrated by that and say, if you feel that way about me and you were unwilling to really give me a chance to play, well, what's going to change all of a sudden in the spring? Because let's think back to 2017, right? Brandon Wimbush struggles in the first half against Miami, so they bench him and they bring in Ian Book, right? This is a week after Brandon Wimbush had the best game of his career, mm-hmm. 400 over 400 yards of offense, and, and by him alone, the team had over 700 yards of offense in a win over Wake Forest. A week later, he gets benched, right? Or, you know, and he ended up going back in because Ian Book played even worse than he did in that game. But Filter Kovic never got that chance as bad as Ian book was playing against Michigan. And, and really throughout the entire month of September, Ian book did not play well. And Phil Dracovic, despite looking really good when he did get on the field, never got that chance. So I would understand him feeling like, you know, I'm not really going to get that chance. And if he does have that feeling, then I understand him wanting to leave. It's not about not getting playing time. It's about, am I even getting an opportunity to compete for playing time? And that, to me, would be the big question if I were him. Yeah, and it's not like we have any shortage of talent with Pine and Brendan Clark and then, of course, Buckner on the horizon. I mean, the talent. Well, but I don't think any of them are Phil Dracovic, and that's my frustration. Okay. Phil Dracovic is a different kind of cat, and he's not your typical drop back and look pretty and people obsess over whether it's a spiral or not. I don't care. I care that it gets there. And the reality is Phil Dracovic made throws in limited time this year that, that, with all due respect to Ian Book, he physically can't make. I mean, you go look at that throw. I think it was against Boston College. It might have been against Navy. I forget which game it was. He threw a far hash 15-yard comeback on a rope perfectly aimed as a defender was hitting him in the face. 
You know, you look, you go back to the first career throw he ever made was a 52 yard bomb to Braden Lindsay. That was just perfectly placed. He's got a lot of talent. He can do things with his legs. He's a guy that I think you don't just say, well, they've got Drew Pine and Brendan. That's all fine. And those guys could end up being great players. But Tyler Buckner is still a junior in high school who's coming off of a season where he had a major injury, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not ready to dismiss Phil Dracovic, who was an even better high school player, uh, simply because of some guy come down the road. They need to do what Alabama does, what Ohio State does, and what Clemson does, which is we're going to play the best players. And during the offseason and during fall camp, we're going to give all the talented players a chance to compete. And if, you know, look, Jalen Hurts took Alabama to back-to-back national title games, and he got benched. Kelly Bryant took Clemson to the playoff, and the next year was the instrumental in beating Texas A&M on the road, which opened up an opportunity to get back to the playoff, and he got benched. And you may say, well, Phil Dracovic isn't to a tongue of a low in Trevor Lawrence. Maybe not, but he and Book's not Jalen Hurts or Kelly Bryant either. So um, I think that's the frustration that he has, and and honestly, as an observer of the program that I have, because we see that way too much. Why is it that Notre Dame, who gets all these smart kids, has such a hard time getting those young players ready to play in most instances? Guys like Kyle Hamilton are rare at Notre Dame. At other big schools that are winning championships, we see that a lot more, and it makes me say maybe it's not a player thing. Maybe it's a it's a program thing. Agreed, agreed. And you mentioned quite a few quite a few nice passers in there with Tua and Jalen. Uh, let's talk about another one that we're going to see up close and personal in less than two weeks, and that's Brock Purdy. Uh, and speaking of this high powered uh, passing offense, is this the best passing attack that we'll see this season? It's it is from the standpoint of how it operates. It's not the most talented passing offense they've seen. That's still USC. Uh, there's no Michael Pittman, there's no, uh, there's no uh, Amon Ross St. Brown or a Tyler Vaughns, uh, but I love Brock Purdy, and the thing I like about this offense, which makes it so effective, is there's not one guy, there's not the guy. You've got to take that guy out, because if you take, for example, Charlie Kohler's their tight end, he's an all-American caliber tight end, he was an all-Big 12 tight end, really talented player, but if you take him out, number one, they have a second tight end who's really good, uh, and they've got three or four different receivers. I think I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think they had like four different guys with at least 600 yards receiving this year. Uh, and they all have different skill sets. You know, Milton is a is a quick sort of get the ball, let him make got plays in space. Uh, Jones is kind of a chain mover, a route runner, can get you know get plays. They have another kid who's like six two two thirty as a wide receiver. Uh, that's more of the big physical player. So that that makes them really hard to prepare for. You can't, you know, personnel against, you know, USC has kind of those long receivers. So you can personnel with, you know, Dante Vaughn and do different things with them. You can't match up. You can match up with smaller teams who have more quick guys, you know, with Tariq Bracey and Sean Crawford. They have such a unique blend of that. Plus they're going to get they're running back the ball out of the backfield. It really makes them hard to, to, to game plan for. And then Purdy is really the perfect game manager for that because he's not a guy that locks in on one guy. He's going to read out the defense and get the ball where it needs to go. Uh, and that's what makes him so effective uh, as a quarterback. Yeah, so, you know, with all that said, what are what is Notre Dame's doing? What are their keys to victory against Iowa State? they got to dominate the line of scrimmage. I think that's the biggest thing because – you know, you can scheme your way into to success offensively with if you have some good athletes and a quarterback that's willing to distribute the ball, which are things we just talked about, that's all fine and dandy. But if you get dominated at the line of scrimmage, 
you're going to have a hard time putting the ball in the end zone. And we saw that for against Iowa, for example. If you just look at Purdy's stats against Iowa, you're thinking, wow, that, that was a really good day. They scored 17 points. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you got, you, got your, you got your yards in the pass game, but you couldn't run the ball. And we pressured the quarterback. And, you couldn't, and once you got into the red zone and the field was condensed a little bit and you, we, we didn't have the threat of, you know, having the ball thrown over our, over our head as a defense, well, then you were less effective. And, and, of course, Iowa has a very good defensive line. So I think that's a big key for Notre Dame is you've got to make Purdy get rid of the ball quickly. What happens when you can force a quarterback to throw the ball quicker than he wants to is the ball – it's like a facing the option. I've always said the key to stopping the triple option is to force the quarterback to make whatever decision he's going to make right away. Then that allows everybody else to rally to the ball. If you force him to get the ball out quickly, then the, it, you've declared there, there it goes and guys can run to the ball, and you're not getting the depth where you can get into trouble is if he's able to get into his drops and read out the plays and there's not the pressure. When he does throw quick, your linebackers are now six or seven yards deeper. Your safeties are now six or seven yards deeper, so that guy's catching the ball with room to work. If he has to get rid of the ball quicker, now when he dumps off to that underneath route, your linebackers haven't even flipped their hips yet. They're still there ready to drive on that route, so a potential eight-yard game becomes a four-yard game. And so instead of second and two, it's now second and six. And then you force an incompletion. Now, all of a sudden, they're in a, a much manager, you know, tougher situation. So that all starts up front. You know, when they do try to run, don't let them get anything. You know, two-yard gains, negative-yard gains, things like that. If you can put Iowa State into more third and medium, third and long situations, that's where you're going to have success. Because if you look at their offense, they have been – they have thrived on big plays. I think uh, the Fermo Efficiency Index has them, I think, 11th in the country – in creating explosive plays when Notre Dame's defense is eighth in the country in limiting explosive plays. If they can do that, then you, Iowa state is, is a middle of the road to bottom third, third down offense because they are young and because their offensive line isn't great. So that's going to be the key limit big plays and dominate at the line of scrimmage. Absolutely. And uh, Brian, we really appreciate your time on a Sunday, but we'll get you out of here on this one. And I know a lot's been made of, you know, we're not, we didn't make the playoffs and because of technicalities and a 1990s bowl tie in with uh, Virginia and the ACC getting into the orange bowl, we're stuck with this camping world bowl. And then it's kind of a less than stellar opponent. We didn't end up with Texas or Chuba and uh, Oklahoma state. What would be a satisfying win for Notre Dame fans? Because it's a three-point victory or even just a eh, 10 to 14-point victory isn't going to do it. What would a, a satisfying win look like against Iowa State? For me, it's about playing well. And, and I really don't get too wrapped up in the margin of victory because I think if Iowa State plays as hard as they can and Notre Dame plays as hard as they can, there's a scenario in which this game could be competitive. Because, hey, guys, Oklahoma's in the playoff, right? They beat Iowa State by one. Iowa State went for two at the end of the game with a chance to win that game. They lost to Baylor by two. They lost to Iowa, who's ranked just behind Notre Dame in the teens, by a point. Right? So this is a much better football team than people think. And and they beat Texas. Mm-hmm. Right? So for me, I care about did you play well? Did you play your game? Uh, were you focused? Were you locked in? Uh, and and did you did you represent Notre Dame and get eleven and two? Because to me, eleven and two matters. That's the number that matters more for Notre Dame as a program than the plus three or the plus twenty against Iowa State. It's it's that W. Uh, this is not a sexy opponent. You're absolutely right. They're seven and five, but they, them and Texas A and M are the two of the best seven and five teams I've ever seen. When you look at who they lost to and how competitive those games were, I mean, 
you look at A&M, they went seven and five. They lost to Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, and LSU, and Auburn. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, kind of a murderer's row same, there. Right. And it's the same thing for Iowa State. They lost Oklahoma. They lost to Baylor. They lost to Iowa, who's a top 20 team. And they lost to Oklahoma State on the road, who's a top 25 team. So this is a good football team. Should Notre Dame win? Absolutely. Uh, but as long as they play well, because they could win by 17 or 20 and play sloppy football, and, and I don't feel great about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's more about how they play and getting that W. For me, that's the most important thing. That 11-2, and two, that's the number that matters. Absolutely. And, Brian, again, we thank you so much. We're really trying to get this podcast off the ground along with, you know, we have all the East of the Bend stuff we've been doing for a couple of years, and now we we're lucky enough to get this podcast and uh, be the take over this role for Locked on Irish. And uh, you're actually our first guest on Locked on Irish, so we truly appreciate your time on a Sunday. Well, I'm honored. I appreciate being on with you guys. Absolutely. And uh, one more time, where can they, everybody find all your stuff at? Real simple. It, uh, my website, you can find it at irishbreakdown.com and my podcast as well because there's always time to listen to multiple podcasts. So after you listen to Locked on Irish on Apple Tunes, you ch- check out Irish Breakdown. You can also find my podcast. So see how I made it simple, guys? Absolutely. Podcast, Love Irish it. Breakdown, website, <laughs> irishbreakdown.com, right? Trying to make it easy for everybody. Absolutely. So uh, we'll definitely catch up with you again at some point and uh, go Irish. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yep. See you later. All right, guys, that was our first interview with uh, anybody on uh, locked outside of me and Mark talking to each other on Locked On Irish. Uh, great interview, uh, really insightful. I definitely looked forward to having him on again. Oh, yeah, he uh, he definitely knows what he's talking about for sure. For sure. So ran a little longer than typically than the bosses like for us to. We're at about 41 minutes. Um, but uh, so we're going to get out of here. We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, Mark and Will, I think, are going to carry the show for the first time for the Wednesday edition. So make sure you are following us at Locked on Irish on Twitter, Facebook, you know where to listen to us, iTunes, just your favorite podcast app. If you're listening to this right now, just stick with that one. Whatever gets us listens, that's what we like. So until next time, guys, go Irish.